When it comes to the umpiring world, there are a few bigger guests than Jerry Crawford. He joins us next on The Plate Meeting. Let's take care of some business here at Close Call Sports, the Plate Meeting Podcast. It's brought to you by the OSIP Foundation Incorporated, where OSIP stands for Outstanding Sportsmanship is Paramount, a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to promoting good sportsmanship throughout sports and competition. Among their many programs offered is Officials Anonymous, a hotline and support service for officials who suffer from abuse, anxiety, and other similar issues. To learn more about OSIP, to get involved or to donate, please visit OSIPFoundation.org. Your donation may be tax deductible. Once again, that's OSIPFoundation.org. And Close Call Sports would like to welcome our newest sponsor, the Pro Umpire Camp. If you're looking to become a better umpire, Pro Umpire Camp is an exciting opportunity to enhance your craft. Pro Umpire Camp provides students with 35 hours of classroom and on-field instruction of the three-umpire system. You'll learn from current MILB umpires and supervisors. You will have the opportunity to showcase your skills during live games to top independent league supervisors, including the American Association, the Atlantic League, and the Can-Am League. Pro Umpire Camp, March 3rd to the 10th in Spring, Texas. For more information, visit www.proumpirecamp.com. One more time, that's www.proumpirecamp.com. And we welcome you to the plate meeting. Our guest in this edition, Jerry Crawford, a major league umpire of 35 years with five World Series, five divisional series, 12 LCS appearances, and over 4,400 games including the postseason. Jerry, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure, Tim. Thanks for having me. I, I think, you know, when we've done this podcast, every time we ask, how did you become an umpire? What sent you to umpire school? But to give some background into why you became an umpire, I think before we do anything else, we've got to talk about your dad. Uh, your dad, Chad Crawford, umpired in the big leagues for 20 years um, and had to be a huge influence as to who you became as an adult. Uh, there's, uh, there's absolutely no question. That's, that's why I did what I did. I, I would go to the ballparks with my brother, Joe. Uh, we'd go with him all the time. Um, you know, when he was, <clears throat> when he would work in Philadelphia, which is where we were from, uh, he was a national league umpire for 20 years. And, uh, that had, that had the biggest influence on me as to what I decided to do and probably what Joe decided to do except baseball wasn't Joe's forte. He wanted to officiate, so he went into basketball, which he loved also. So was there any ever was there ever pressure on your brother to go to umpire school? No. no there was never, never any pressure on me to go to umpire school. As a matter of fact, uh, I started umpiring when I was 14. Um, I was umpiring uh, little league games, uh, and uh, – and uh, just, uh, I loved it. I loved it from the day I started to umpire. Uh, I played, uh, you know, uh, American Legion ball, uh, Babe Ruth ball, uh, uh, that kind of thing. But I never, you know, playing was not, I just wasn't good enough to, you know, to be a player. Uh, but uh, I was, uh, I had a pretty good 
I had pretty good judgment, and I was uh, I was really halfway decent at umpiring, even even at a young age. Now your your dad was a, a veteran of World War II, and I I know you were also yes. so part of the Army Reserves. Um, and your dad won the uh, the Medal of Honor. I don't know you win the medal; he was awarded the Medal of Honor. Um, pretty big deal. Uh, it, my my father wasn't awarded the the, the uh, Medal of Honor. That's that's not that's not correct. Okay, we'll edit that out. Let's try he that again. On, what does editing even mean? Go ahead, Jerry. He was on the he was on the USS Walk, which was hit by kamikazes uh, during World War uh, II. Uh, it cleared actually the one kamikaze hit the um, hit the bridge of the ship and cleared killed the captain of the ship. Uh, and uh, it, it, as a matter of fact, my father said that uh, fortunately for him, he was behind a a, uh, a gun turret. And uh, the debris uh, missed him. So uh, now, uh, whether the ship was awarded uh, some kind of award, I don't know. But uh, my father was was never uh, uh, given the Medal of Honor. So I checked the records. It was the commanding officer of the USS Walkie, George Fleming Davis, uh, who died and was then awarded the Medal of Honor. Further proof that you can't believe everything you read on the internet. Here's another thing I read on the internet, uh, Jerry that your dad was an amateur boxer. Is there any truth to that? That is, that is the truth. My father at one point uh, wanted to, uh, uh, his father, uh, my grandfather uh, wanted to, uh, he was a trainer. He would uh, train boxers. And uh, he, he at one point uh, uh, was training my father, the father of the box. And he had, he had uh, quite a few amateur fights. So now you're growing up going to, Connie Mack Stadium, formerly Shy Park, watching right. potentially two teams play. I mean, you you might have caught some Philadelphia A's games, so they didn't leave till after the nineteen fifty four season. Any? I never saw them. never saw an A's game. I never okay. saw an A's game. I was always the Phillies. So the Phillies left in in nineteen seventy, and that leads us to uh, to something I want to bookend here. Uh, your dad, being a veteran, got to umpire the first ever game in 1971 behind home plate at Veterans Stadium. Where were you for that game? Were you, you were in the minor leagues at this point? I was. I was in Carolina League uh, when the stadium opened. April 10th, 1971. Yeah. That was Expos at the Phillies. Yes. And My the, dad had the first game at the Vet. Yes, he did. And uh, we're going to go a little nonlinear here because you had the last game at Veterans. I did. And your dad was present. How special was that for you? It was a that was a great day. I'd say I, it really was. I, it was very nostalgic and, uh, uh, you know, they had a lot of, uh, there were a lot of players there from, from, you know, from the time. So it, there was a lot of, uh, celebration going on because I believe it was the last game of the season. Also, uh, the season was over at that time. So, uh, the bottom line was, is that, uh, um, you know, uh, my father knew quite a few of the guys, and uh, yeah, of course I did too. But uh, you know, the rest of my family was there also. So uh, you know, they got to meet uh, uh, you know quite a few people who were there at at, the, at that time. Now we've taken some user questions here, and Willie McGonagall wanted to know: Were you set up to work the last plate on the at the end of the season at Veterans Stadium, or did you have to rework the rotation uh, to, to get that assignment? We reworked it. We worked reworked the assignment. I know 
one rotation you didn't have to rework was the following year when you had Correct. the privilege of opening up Citizens Bank Park as the crew chief. Right. Uh, again, right. what an honor that is. It, you know, it was it was neat. Uh, I, uh, I I loved it, and to be honest with you, I got to give uh, Dave Montgomery uh, all the who who was at, at the time, uh, you know, the president of the Phillies. Uh, he's the one that uh, requested that I open it. Uh, he he requested it to the uh, to Major League Baseball. I wasn't the kind of guy that always asked for you know um, different things, and, and but uh, Dave Montgomery had. Uh, had uh, uh, asked asked me. He said, "Hey Jerry, this stadium's open up on uh, you know such and such a date." And he said, uh, "Would you uh, would you uh, be the guy to open it up?" I said, "Well, <laughs> we can certainly find out." And uh, he 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 really uh, talked to Major League Baseball about it, and uh, they were gracious enough to let me uh, open it up. So let's get back to, uh, for a second to uh, watching your dad umpire. He was involved in a couple fairly uh, interesting incidents in his career that still we have video of, which is rare. We don't have a lot of video from this, the 60s and 70s. But one that we do, right. do not have video of was the historic brawl uh, at Candlestick Park on August 22nd, 1965, between right. uh, the, the Dodgers and Giants when Juan Marichal and uh, John uh, Roseborough went at it. Uh, there's a lot of uh, stuff going on in America at that time. I know that you were only uh, at eight years old. Do you remember anything about that situation? Oh, yeah. I, my, my father talked uh, – actually, I was a little older than that. I was about, uh, I was about 17, I guess. Uh, what, what, what year was that, 65? Yeah, 65, correct. I'm, uh, yeah, your, your brother was uh, – yeah, I'm not a math yeah, surgeon. Joe, Joe, Joe is a little younger. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. My, you know, it was a situation where, uh, and really, Koufax was the other pitcher for the Dodgers, and uh, uh, he threw a pitch uh, that uh, it, it really wasn't the pitch that he threw. It was when Roseboro threw the ball back uh, when he threw the ba- ball back to Koufax. He nicked, uh, he nicked Marichal when he threw the ball back. So Marichal was, was, was extremely upset, uh, about it. And, uh, that's, that's how the, that's really how it started. Um, so I guess Marichal took exception to the fact that, uh, you know, that, uh, when John threw the ball back, he nicked him with the ball and, uh, he went after him with the bat. And my, soon as, soon as he went after him with the bat, uh, you know, my father was at at first he was shocked. Um, you know, and then uh, my father uh, tackled Marichal. And that is on. We can probably find that on video. I know there are great pictures of that incident. Not that the incident. Yeah, was... I have a, I have a, I have a great picture of that uh, in my in my house of him uh, grabbing hold of uh, of of Marichal. Then you see, then the, then both dugouts. Uh, Tito Fuentes, I believe, was on the uh, in the. Uh, circle at the time and uh he was he went right for the <laughs> for home plate also and there's another great shot of Koufax coming running in and off the mound because he didn't really understand what had happened you know and uh and uh and you know therefore 
uh, I, I, there were quite a few years later, I believe my father had, had to, there was a court case involved and, uh, I guess, uh, there were, whether, uh, I don't ever know that the, the, uh, the case ever went to trial, but, uh, my father did have to give testimony to, uh, some attorneys over the fact that, that it happened. What was the dinner table like in 1969, uh, or your conversations with your father after he had to deal with Errol Weaver for the first time behind the plate in the 69 World Series Game 4? And now Shad Crawford has turned and pointed the finger. And Crawford moves on over toward the dugout. And that's Errol Weaver, the manager of the Baltimore Orioles, coming out now. Shad Crawford calling balls and strikes here today. And Weaver's just behind him as he moves back. And he's out of the ball game. Errol Weaver has been thrown out of he wasn't, you know, he would just, it was another game. Uh, that's the way he treated everything. And that's really what he told me, treat, treat every game the same. It doesn't matter uh, what the importance of the game is. That, that, that has nothing to do with your job, uh, the importance of the game. Your job is to call either balls, strikes, safes, outs, and rule on, on whatever happens out on the field. Uh, the importance of the game, whether it be a World Series game or All-Star game or whatever, had no no bearing on it. So, uh, you know, that's that's the way he approached every game. Um, and uh, it, I, you know, I, I would like to think that that's the way I approached every game also. There was a Cubs-Cardinals brawl from uh, September 22nd, 1974. Uh, okay. And I'm just going to, you know, it, it's it's fascinating because there's some oddities in this. Um, yes. And your dad was the, the home plate umpire. And I'm not sure what yes. happened leading up to this, but apparently somebody wouldn't get in the box. And your father yes. said now, to Al Herboski, yeah. pitch. And the next thing you know, there were two um, uh, players in the box and uh, chaos ensued in the Cubs-Cardinals game, not for the first time and certainly not for the last time. You were in AAA at the time, um, one step away from the major leagues. Did you have any memories of this incident? Now we've got Jose Cardinal into it with Shaq Crawford and Jim Marshall out to chat with him. Pretty uh, wild chat. Now both managers have gotten into it, and he says pitch the ball, and he calls a strike on him. Wow, this is the strangest thing I've ever seen. Is Now, wait a minute. Hold on here. Now, Ted Simmons is getting into it, throwing punches at Madlock. And down they go as the bench is clear. And now the ball, ball players who at first were venting their anger at the umpire now are throwing the punches at each other as they pile up just along the third base side. Bill Madlock being forcibly restrained and being tackled by a teammate, Ray Burris, on the left side as they pile up and tangle up. Well, I, I I didn't until you sent me the video. I, I do re, I do recall I do recall what, uh, what you know the the incident. Uh, it was uh, I, I believe uh, the, the the hitter. I'm not exactly sure who the hitter was, but uh, and and the, the the catcher for the Cardinals at the time, Ted Simmons, was a he's a pretty uh, tough guy, and uh, he. Uh, he he was a no-nonsense guy, and uh, I believe the pitch before the hitter wasn't wasn't real thrilled with the pitch. My father called it a strike, uh, so he was giving my father 
some garbage. And uh, and what happened was is that uh, uh, my father told him to get in the box. Well, in the meantime, I guess the dugout started, and my father went to the dugout first before anything started. I believe he ejected the manager of the of the ball club, and I I'm trying to think Jim, of the manager Jim Marshall was, whether it was, who was it Jim Marshall. Uh, and he ejected him, and then he went back to home plate. The batter then still refused to get into home plate, so he told Robowski to throw the ball, pitch. So uh, as Robowski was coming through, the manager had come out and wanted to argue with my father. As Robowski was throwing the ball, the batter jumped in the batter's box to swing at the baseball because he knew if I was going to call the strike, no matter what. So, and it would have been, I believe, strike three. So that's really what transpired in the, in the argument. So, I mean, you know, when you, when you talk about these things with umpires, uh, you know, they're funny. And I believe that my father, you know, after it was all said and done, it was funny. Uh, <laughs> while he was going through it, of course, it wasn't funny. That's, that's it. That's basically what it was all about. Well, let's get to a couple of uh, of your career ejections that I oh, find okay. hilarious. Uh, anybody who, who knows my favorite ejection of all time is when you call the guy out, and uh, I believe it was in the nation's capital, against the Arizona Diamondbacks. The manager was A.J. Hinch, and you were very calm, okay. and yeah. you were still very calm, and then yes. he said something, and as one rip le- lip reader said, uh, <laughs> if my lip reading is correct, said Rob Slater, in your classic conversation with A.J. Hinch, you shut him down by saying, you've been here five effing months. <laughs> is that accurate? And uh, how, how, was, uh, how did that go? And up the middle. Guzman. Got it. He did! First! Oh, this is going to be an argument. First base coach Lorenzo Bundy not happy about it, and A.J. Hinch quickly out of the dugout cannot believe the call of 33 year veteran Jerry Crawford, and he is hot. He's gone. <laughs> One of Christian Guzman's best plays of the year. Well, I think A.J. Hinch has a beef here. And now Jerry Crawford right in his face. Oh, we got a beauty going on here. To be honest with you, it, 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 was, it was a close play at first base. I, I believe his team was ahead. Um, his team was ahead seven nothing, like early in the game. It was a, it was it was a blowout, and uh, and uh, the next thing you know, uh, they got a they come back and the score is seven to five or something, and now I have a swacker at first. And uh, I, I believe I call his guy out or whatever, uh, you know, and uh, he wants to blame. He wanted to blame me. I was good up until the point that he said to me, uh, uh, you know, hey, you see that scoreboard up there? That's your fault. That, <laughs> as soon as he said that, was a, a, a switch went off in my head. And uh that was it. I just got uh, I just got aggravated, and uh, I I just told him what I what I thought. I mean, you neutered him. 
He went back. Well, literally, it looked like he was going to cry. Well, that's, that's, you know, that's guys argue he was a young young manager. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure. Uh, you know, he's probably changed over. Maybe he wouldn't have handled it the same way. And I believe. Uh, I, you know, it was one of those things. I was a pretty uh, non-tolerant when it came to that kind of uh, nonsense. You know what I mean? Because Absolutely. I never, I always ran my games, and you know, I didn't want to have an influence on the outcome of any game. No umpire wants that. Uh, they don't want to influence games. They want to do their jobs and get off the field. They want to control. They don't want to be aggravated all the time about stupid things that are going on out there in the field. They want to control it, but they don't want to get aggravated about it. And, you know, he, when he said that to me, uh, that was just, I, I, I think it was just a young manager's mistake. That's all. There's you know, about the, but to be honest with you about the argument, I don't think I've ever seen the argument. I've been told about it. I've been told by several people that, uh, that, uh, you know, you undressed them, you did this, you did that. And to be quite frank with you, Tim, I, I've i never seen the argument. And quite frankly, uh, I didn't look at it that way. I just looked at it defending myself for something I thought was uh, was him trying to take advantage of it. It's so, inter- interesting. That, that's the way I looked at it. Because it almost looked as if, you know, it was a really bad look for Hinch. He's going out to one of the veteran five World Series, you know, the the whole resume, and he's been there for a few weeks. How about a little respect? And that leads me into some of the things that a lot of of our users have asked me to ask you. You know, the behavior in baseball lately has been terrible. You've got uh, players calling for electronic strike zones. You've got players going to the media and saying the umpires are this and that. What happened to the ability to get these guys to respect umpires? Um, are you able to watch the games these days? And you know, could you umpire in this environment still? I can. I can honestly tell you. I think the umpires today do a, a wonderful job. I, I, I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't think that we were any better. Uh, we were any. You know, we. You know, we might have been worse because we don't have the. Uh, you know, the technology that these guys are. The scrutiny that these guys are under. Uh, that are. Uh, that you know that tell them there's always numbers on these guys and uh if back in my day i don't know if my numbers would have been you know in a one nothing game you would walk off the field and both sides would say hey jerry heck of a job you know you could you could have missed 20 pitches but the fact is is that it was a one nothing game nobody argued you know you were consistent everything was good boom and away you went and nowadays a guy can have a one nothing game uh, and if he misses those same 20 pitches, he could have, it just seems to me that when he misses the pitch, these each guy something to him. If back in our day, uh, or back in my day, I was, if I was consistent and I didn't call the pitch during the game, you know, the guy both got in the box and, and, and hit again. You know what I mean? He, he didn't say anything to me. Just let's go. And as long as I stayed consistent throughout the game, but to, in today's game, these guys have to be right all the time. And uh, and I think, you know, the respect, the respe- I think the respect for the officiating has certainly gone downhill, but I think that's baseball's fault. Uh, I believe that the guys, 
the guys running the show now, that's what they want. They don't want the umpire to react anymore. They don't want the umpire to control. They micromanage the umpire. And, uh, and they don't want the umpire to be the guy who's, who's running, the, running, the, running the field. They want to run the field from New York. That's what they want to do. And I think that has, that has uh, a detriment to the way guys officiate on the field today. I want to talk to you about the Don Zimmer play. Uh, because this is, this is fascinating. Cause if you can read lips, you see at the end of it, all I did was gesture and he, and you said to him, well, don't do that again. You know, you warned him to knock it off in the dugout when he was manager of the Cubs in 89, you warned him to knock it off. He didn't stop. He raises his arms up in the air and you give him the hook. He comes out. It's you're relatively calm again. And I call this when I talk about, you know, handling situations, uh, reasoned aggression. You're trying to show everybody uh, in the stadium and in the dugouts that you're just not going to let guys run you over. And that right. <laughs> gives, gives you the perception of being able to control the game. What happened with Don Zimmer in this uh, extended uh, discussion that you guys had? And now Jerry Crawford getting some heat from the Cub dugout. There's Zimmer. kicked out Harry and he doesn't believe getting the early thumb without ever leaving the dugout I can't believe it myself but that's exactly what happened well uh, to be honest with I believe the hitter was Sutcliffe correct uh, and there was a check swing and I called it a swing, and it could have been the second strike. Well, he didn't like strike uh, strike two, and he took a, the pitcher took a walk on you in order to show you up for calling a strike, which to me blows my mind. Um, <laughs> well, Sutcliffe thought he could hit. That, that was the, yeah. Back in the day, Sutcliffe, you know, he hit a couple of home runs somewhere along the line, so he thought he could hit. So he, he didn't want you to take the bat out of his hand. So I guess, you know, whether he thought it was a strike or not, I don't know. But then uh, there was a check swing. I call it a swing. And and and, and Don hollered and, and uh, Don hollered in, uh, from the from the dugout and I hollered back and uh, uh, he said something again. And I went whoosh out. And uh, then he come out and he called me the Gestapo. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. He said, he told me, he, Don told me, I, he said, you're like the Gestapo. Nobody can say anything to you. I said, Don, you know, so, I mean, it was, it was when you, when you, when you, uh, Don was, Don was terrific. I mean, he, he really was. I enjoyed Don. <laughs> a guy that caused a lot of issues for the National League back in the, uh, the late 80s was uh, Lou Pinella who didn't seem to uh, get along. We talked in our last podcast with Gary Darling that he had to issue an apology right. for calling Gary Darling right. essentially a cheater. But uh, right. he did, he, he, there was a, a hit-by-pitch incident where yes. a, 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 a pitch in a one-run game, we talked about this in our Teachable Moments uh, recently, a pitch, right. the situation in a one-run game, uh, you're not going to put the tying or going ahead runs on base. And Lou Pinella lost his mind uh, after a – Hit by pitch. It was a two-two right. uh, pitch with Montreal leading three-two in the bottom of the six, 
and yeah. um, it looked relatively calm. Your crew chief there was was Doug Harvey, and Pinellas seemed yeah. to want to talk to everybody that day. You know, 
you can you can go do something else. And you know that's really what transpired in the argument, and that's really what my my argument was. And uh, when I talked to Bill about it, he said, "Well, he said I'd like you to you know just look at that tape when you when you think you want to go off again, and or think about that tape and uh, and and uh, and you know what? To be honest with you, it helped. Uh, it helped. I don't think I ever got. I don't think I ever got that angry again. Now I'm I'm not saying I didn't get angry, but I don't think I ever got that angry again. So uh, it was that was a teaching tape for me. Would you call it uh, in some of the times that you did chew a player out calculated aggression? Because it certainly yeah. it, it certainly doesn't look like you boom <laughs> right back in borderline pitch outside corner at the knees strike. I mean you're nailing calls. So I mean talk to a little bit talk to us a little bit about you know, your calculated aggression in order to control the game? Well, the, the point was this, that, uh, you know, when you're calling balls and strikes, if you have a dugout that's that's raising all kinds of heck with you, uh, you, you can't concentrate on balls and strikes uh, with, with them hollering. So you have to make it, take a stand and and to, to keep them quiet. Now, you got to remember, there's 25 guys over there. So the fact is, is that take a stand because it's you, you and your crew, that's it. And uh, you have to take a stand and tell them to knock it off so you can concentrate on doing your job. And I always felt that if they knew what I said I was going to do, then, you know, it was their own fault if they got ejected. So that's how I treated them. Uh, if, if I thought they had to be told, you better knock it off, you better knock it off or you're not going to be around to, to, to finish the game up. And that was, that's the way I felt about it all the time. I tried to stay consistent that way throughout my entire career. And, you know, for the, for the number of years I would, I wasn't one of those guys that ended up with early in my career, I had a few ejections. As my career wore on, people knew what they could do with me and what they couldn't do with me. If, if they treated me and my crew with respect, I had no problems with them staying in the game. But as soon as they crossed, there, there was a line there that if they crossed, it just I, would, I just would not tolerate it. I wouldn't tolerate it. In your last seven seasons uh... – a little over 700 games. You only had six ejections, so it's not, uh-huh. you know, you clearly weren't going after people. And one of the things no. we highlighted in our recent Teachable Moment was it's, you have to stand up for yourself at times, and you have to do that a lot more as a young umpire and as a crew right. chief. There are times that, you know, you might have to stick up for a young guy. And I want to speak of a guy that we had touched on a little bit earlier. Uh, Chuck123 uh, told us in his Hall of Fame speech, Doug Harvey called your father who was once his crew chief, quote, the best umpire I ever knew and who belongs in the Hall of Fame, end quote. Uh, Doug Harvey was later your crew chief. Um, Do you have any memorable stories or lessons learned from the great one? Doug Doug was just – he was a fabulous teacher. Uh, He he was – he had tremendous ability. Uh, He was just – he was a a great crew chief. And uh, I have nothing but – the utmost uh, respect and admiration for the guy. Uh, what he would always work on me 
you know, he would he would say things to me like, Jerry, you have all the talent in the world. He said, you have to, your temper is, your temper is where your, your issues are. And he was right. I mean, the fact is, is that, uh, you know, I would let, uh, uh, you know, I would let some things happen. If again, I go back to the respect end of it. If I thought that they were disrespecting, uh, my crew or, or, you know, who I was working with, then I would take exception to that. And Doug, Doug always felt that, that, you know, you can get the same respect and you don't have to get mad doing it. Well, you know, we just had two different approaches to it. And, and I worked on it. I, I tried doing it Doug's way, you know what I mean? And, and I think that that helped me later on in my career. Uh, speaking of ejections, um, I, in 2003, Chuck123 asked us, you ejected Cardinals catcher Mike Matheny, and on retro sheet, the reason was, quote, umpire's hand on back, end quote. Also ejected yeah. in this incident is Dave Duncan. Is this true? And if so, what happened? Uh, it is true. And uh, what happened was, um, in, in between innings, uh, Tony Larusa had come out and said to me, "Hey Jerry, uh, I, I want you to take your hand off of Mike's back." I said, uh, "Why?" He said, "Because uh, you, you, you're pushing him." I said, "I'm not pushing him." He said, uh, "Well, uh, we just watched in that in that inning there, and you shoved him forward and took a pitch, a, a close pitch, and you took it down." So you called the pitch a ball. I mean, so in essence, I said, "Well, guess what? I'm not. I'm not taking my hand on off him. So Mike's going to just have to put up with it." Well, when when that happened, uh, he went back out. Uh, Tony went back and told him what I said, and Mike came charging out of the dugout. Uh, came charging out of the dugout, and I ejected him, and uh, then. Dave Duncan and I never got along, never from day one. Uh, so uh, Duncan was just uh, <laughs> Duncan was just added candy to getting ejected. Uh, as far as I was concerned, he wasn't uh, he was useless as far as I was concerned, and he wasn't uh, he wasn't needed on the field. Well, I mean, I just remember in the dugout, Larusa never talked yeah. to him. <laughs> Larusso always stand like fifteen feet away from, yeah. so maybe you're onto something I, there. Yeah, uh, the guy was uh, the guy. In my opinion, was uh, useless. So I, you know, it, I think we just we just didn't get along at all uh, in any way, shape, or form. Um, and uh, I, I can't honestly say that anybody else uh, ever in baseball uh, uh, did I not get away with get a, get along with any way shape or form but him absolutely not even not even close we're going to time to take a break here on the plate being when we come back we're going to talk about an umpire getting fired for not working the world series we'll have more when we return right here on the plate being 
Hi, this is Jack Furlong, founder, president, and CEO of the OSIP Foundation, Incorporated, where OSIP stands for Outstanding Sportsmanship is Paramount, a 501c3 organization dedicated to promoting good sportsmanship throughout all capacities of sports and competition. Please be sure to check out our website at osipfoundation.org to learn about us and some of our programs, such as our blog, The Strike Zone, our podcast, How You Play the Game, our awards programs for student-athletes, and Officials Anonymous, our hotline for sports officials who deal with abuse, anxiety, and other similar issues. Once again, that's osipfoundation.org. Hey, everybody. T-Mac here for the Pro Umpire Camp. Did you not make it out of umpire school? Do you still want to umpire professional baseball? Let me tell you something. Go look at the alumni list on the Pro Umpire Camp website. That's www.proumpirecamp.com. They have big leaguers. They have AAA umpires. They have AA umpires. They have dozens of guys that have gone to that camp, gone into either summer collegiate baseball or independent professional baseball, gone back to umpire school, and gotten jobs. There is no better place to go than Pro Umpire Camp to find your way to how to get into the minor league baseball system if you didn't get through one of the two umpire schools. So if you're looking to become a better umpire, I have the answer for you. Pro Umpire Camp. It's an exciting opportunity to enhance your craft. They provide students with over 34 hours of classroom and on-field instruction of the three-man umpire system. You'll learn from current MILB supervisors and umpires, including the lead instructor, Ron Teague. You'll have the opportunity to showcase your skills in live games to the independent league supervisors of the American Association, the Atlantic League, and the Can-Am League. Go to ProUmpireCamp.com. That's ProUmpireCamp.com. And you will be well on your way to being a better umpire. Hey everyone, Gil here. I have nothing to sell you. Back to the show. Wait, we have an online store. We welcome you back to the plate meeting on Close Call Sports. Our guest is longtime Major League umpire of 35 years, Jerry Crawford. In fact, if you combine the years with his father, there was a Crawford in Major League Baseball for 55 consecutive years which is remarkable. Um, In 1975, your father was selected to work the World Series, and there was a rotational system back then, and he refused to work it and was not brought back the following year. Jerry, can you give us some insight as to what happened? And it kind of kept you from working with your dad. Uh, Yes, uh, sure I can. Uh, you got to remember that there's, there's two situations here. One, uh, that in, in my father's day, in the contract was written that they had a mandatory retirement age of 55. Uh, the other thing was is that they had a rotation. Umpires rotated into the playoffs. So you got a World Series every six years. So, the, so, so you have two situations going on here. Uh, so in 1975, um, uh, my father was 59 years old. So he already had been invited back four years in a row. The trouble my dad had was that there were there were there was a younger umpire uh, by the name of Chris Pelicudis who was fifty seven years old, and the the league the league wanted to retire Chris, but they thought it, it, it was at the time when. Age was becoming an issue in all all jobs, and and so the league, from a lawyer standpoint, thought that they would get in trouble 
if they kept my father, who was 59, and they got rid of, made Chris Pelicutis, who was 57, retired. So what they said to my father was, Shag, we want you to work the 75 World Series. Because in the 75 World Series, I don't know whether you know this or you don't know this, there was no legitimate crew chief. Dick Stello ended up being the crew chief in the 1975 World Series. And he was not a he was not a crew chief. He was not a crew wow. chief during the season. So so what had happened was they said to my father, Shag, we want you to work those seventy five World Series. My father said, uh, uh, I'm not going to work the seventy five World Series because um, it's not my turn to work the seventy five uh, World Series. They wanted to take Thatch Davidson out of the World Series and put my father in there. And uh, my father refused to do it. And uh, Chubb said, well, Shag, you'll never work another game in in the uh, National League again. And my father said, well, you can, you can, you can put the words in there, what you think my father said <laughs> to him. And uh, that, was, that was it. Uh, that was the last game my father worked was he ended the season in uh, – I believe he ended the season. He had to go to Pittsburgh to meet Chubb, and uh, uh, and that's uh, that's what he did. He refused to take Satch's World Series from him, and Satch ended up working the World Series. And as a matter of fact, Satch had the ball. Uh, you know, Satch was working the plate when when uh, the catcher hit the home run down the left field line. What a uh, in that world. Series. That would be Johnny Bench and that crazy. No, uh, the. No? Uh, the Boston Red Sox, uh, Pudge. Uh, oh, Carlton Fisk. Yeah, Carlton Fisk hit the, hit the ball uh, down the uh, the left field line to win the game against the Reds. In, uh, in 1967, as so we back up here yeah. for a moment, you went to umpire school. You had mentioned that your dad had put no pressure on you to go. No. What no. precipitated the decision? What umpire school did you go to? And uh, what precipitated the decision to follow in your father's footsteps? Well, there was only one umpire in school uh, to to go to in 1967, and that was Al Summers, uh, which later became Harry Wendelstadt School. Uh, uh, the bottom line was is that uh, I my my dad actually said, "Hey Jerry, I, I really see you're interested in 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 umpiring," and he said, "Would you be interested in going to umpiring school?" And I said, "Yes." I jumped I jumped right at it. So. Um, that that's really what precipitated. He just saw that I was interested in umpiring, and he went and saw me work a few games. I was a young kid working semi-pro baseball games up in Fairmount Park in, in Philadelphia. Uh, you know, I was, geez, I was, I was 16 and 17 years old, and I'm working these guys that are 19, 20, 20, you know, anywhere up to 30 years old playing in this semi-pro league up in the Fairmount Park League. So, uh, you know that's 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 what I was doing when I was uh, 16 and 17 years old. So you get selected to go to the Penn League, and then you don't work a minor league game until 1970. Can you right. uh... George McDonald, Florida State League? Yeah, I was. I ended up going into the service, and I was into the army, and uh, I, I they had me for uh, three years. I ended up. I was actually in the reserves, the Army Reserve, and I ended up. Um, I ended up crushing my wrist, my right wrist, in a in a, in an accident, and uh, that 
I, the service couldn't use me anymore because my my uh, my right wrist wrist was limited in uh, in uh, motion. So they uh, they cut me loose to the Florida State. Uh, George McDonald bought my contract from uh, uh, Mr. Richardson in uh, in the New York Penn League. Seventy in the Florida State League, nineteen seventy one in the Carolina League. Eastern League, right. 1972. International League, right. 73 to 76. In this day and age, uh, I hear some of my friends in minor league baseball complain if, you know, the postgame meal isn't isn't good enough. Uh, I could guarantee you, you'd be satisfied with a postgame meal in the Florida State League in 1970. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll tell you what, I thought when I went to that league, uh, and you know, I'm I'm working I'm working in really major league ballparks, you know, spring training ballparks, and I'm saying, geez, geez this minor league business is there's nothing to this. And I look <laughs> at the stadium. <laughs> then I went to the Carolina League, and I said, oh my goodness, is this the way it's going to be? Holy mackerel! <laughs> they were old, and they were great old ballparks, but boy, were they, you know, they they needed some work. That's for darn sure. So in 1976, the date, uh, May 15th, 1976, yes. you worked yes. your first game, San Francisco yes. at St. Louis at third base. Right. Couldn't keep it in regulation. Had to go 11. But uh, yes. talk about how you found out that you were you were getting an opportunity to work in the, in the National League. Well, uh, what happened was – and fortunately for me, unfortunately for Tom Gorman, he broke his leg. He, there was a there was a play at first base, and the runner ran into Tom and broke his leg. And uh, 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 I got a call from uh, Fred Flagg, who was the uh, who uh, ran the uh, major league umpires uh, from the National League uh, then. And uh, he called me up, said, "Jerry, we're bringing you up. Uh, we don't know exactly how long you're going to be up." Uh, and we're going to, you're going to replace Tom because he broke his leg and then until his, his leg heals. And, and I was off and running. That was it. And in, uh, 1977, you start the year, uh, yes. with what a, what a crew, Doug Harvey, Paul Pryor, Andy Olson, uh, opening yes. day in, of all places, Veteran Stadium in Philadelphia. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so that was my first plate job. That was my first plate job in the big leagues. Uh, uh, I, I had it at, at, uh, at uh, in Philly, and um, it was uh, it, it was a it was a, a terrific setting. I mean, you know, I had my entire family was there. Uh, there must have been twenty five of us there. Uh, and of all things, my brother in law uh, he, he he actually caught a foul ball. Ah. Yeah, that was during the game, and you know, it's the it's the only game my mother ever saw me work in person. She always she saw me on TV, but she, that's the only game she ever saw me work in person. The date for that, by the way, May twenty second, nineteen seventy six. The umpires right. on the field: Terry Tata, Doug Harvey, right. John Kibler, right. and you'd work with those guys quite a bit over the years. Yes, yes, I I, I work with Doug. I worked with Doug more than Doug worked with my father. I worked with Doug 12 years and Doug worked with my father for 11. Um, so I, Doug, Doug, 
Doug and I just really hit it off. Uh, we were, you know, we were, we were, uh, you know, close and, and, uh, really close. And, uh, I, I, I enjoyed every, every minute I ever worked with the guy. And, uh, I was, uh, you know, nothing but, uh, uh, you know, I was, uh, extremely, uh, upset when he passed. I want to talk and, a little uh, bit about the mechanics. Now, I've watched you work some video in the 80s, and your mechanics pretty much stayed the same. You came very close to the catcher. Yes. Your head height was low. Yes. So was your father's. Yes. And you guys were both yes. known as guys that got the low strike, didn't miss pitches. Yes. Um, just osmosis, you seem like you emulated your father in almost every aspect of his plate work. Can you take us through that in some regard? Yeah, I mean, as far as he was concerned, he felt that, you know, uh, when you were, as you uh, as as the umpire, the, the knee pitch was the most important pitch that that you could call because the pitcher wanted it, uh, the hitter didn't, the hitter didn't necessarily want it, but he won't, he didn't mind it if it was, you know, if you you were you were pitching him knee high. You know, a lot of good hitters will hit the ball, but uh, he, that was that was your bread and butter pitch because only you know your power guys are going for the ball that's up, and 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 you know that's not where pitchers were taught to pitch back then. So um, he always wanted me my head height the same, same. Try and keep my head height the same all the time. Try and get in the same position all the time because if if you get if you keep changing positions. Then you see the ball different. You you want to be able to see the ball the same way all the time. So he always felt that your stance should be consistent, your head height should be consistent, and that way you can be consistent. And he always said to me, Jerry, a pitch off the plate is not a strike. Make the ball be on the plate. If the ball's on the plate, call it a strike. Don't call the pitch off the plate a strike. And that's that's I tried to live that that throughout my entire career. We had several people write in and just give us comments, but I wanted to uh, mention one. It's uh, by the guy uh, Bob Davidson. I, I think that's how you say it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he said he wrote in and said, yeah. of all the guys I was blessed to walk on the field with, there was none better than Jerry Crawford. If you look up the word umpire in the dictionary, you'll find Jerry's photo. Excellent crew chief, great umpire and partner. And a loyal friend. I thought uh, I would throw that in there because uh, Bob well, kicked us off on the podcast. And... Ditto, ditto back to Bob. I, I, I really enjoyed Bob. He, he did the job the way it was supposed to be done. And uh, I know he got some bad raps for it. But uh, I, I know one thing. He, I know one thing. He gave it his he, – he, 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 he did it the right way every night he went out there. And, uh, you know uh, – and, and I really enjoyed working with Bob. I like talking about uh, the first time you do something. For example, you worked a division series on the strike-shortened season of 1981. This wasn't your first playoff appearance, however. A year earlier, you got the call to work your first uh, NLCS, uh, the right. first of 12 LCS appearances. Um, right. What was that like? You didn't work a plate, so it couldn't have been all bad. <laughs> no, uh, it, no, it was it was really exciting. Uh, I mean, it was uh, exciting from the first game to the last. Uh, Nineteen eighty was, you know, was probably considered one of the 
best series as ever was Houston and the Phillies. Uh, we had the uh, we had the triple play that ended up into a double play, and I was working with some great guys. Uh, all, you know, all great guys at at, at that game, and uh, it was it was it was a uh, uh, it was a great experience. Now you mentioned the triple play that turned into a double play. I can't believe that in all my research you were on the field for this, and I didn't. Uh, I, I, yeah, I there is great video of that play. Um, I was a second. Yeah. Can you take us through that play, and we'll try to pop the video on the site later on? Back to him. He's short hops, and he forgets for the buzzer. Oh, I don't know whether he caught it or not. If he short hopped it, and now we're going to have an argument. Just a moment. Did he short hop it or did he catch it? If they go back to second base, they got a triple play, depending on if he caught the ball. Now this is something. Doug Harvey. Ed Fargo, two of the senior umpires in the National League, having the discussion. Harvey was blocked out. He's out. That's a it's a triple play. play. And we, the inning is over. Here comes Dallas Green. We have seen everything in this series. I do not believe it. Sure, I'll, I'll try and take you through it. It was, uh, I believe the hitter was uh, Gary Maddox. Um, the pitcher was Vern Rule. Um, uh, Gary hit a pit, uh, hit a ball that uh, appeared to either be it was a even either a like a, sh- a line drive or a short hop that reached the pitcher. We had runners, I believe, at first and second, uh, and uh, Doug was behind the plate. Uh, let me see. Uh, Bruce Freming was down the right field line. Eddie Vargo was at uh, first. Terry could have been at first. And this is uh, this is game. Is this game four, Jerry? Yes, I believe it was game four. Yeah, and we and and the, and the situation was that, that that you know, I believe Doug called it no catch. Doug called it no catch, and that's when <laughs> that's when all hell broke loose because I guess Vern thought he caught it, and then. Uh, they, Art Howe was Art Howe, I believe, was the first baseman. He went. He catches the ball at, at. They throw the ball to first. Art catches the ball, tags first because the other the Phillies runner is off the base. Tags first, ends up running over. Manny Trio is standing at, at second. He's off the base. Art tags him for the third out, and now we got three outs and and. Everybody's standing around screaming. He didn't catch it. He did this. He did that. And so we have a we have a riot going on. And uh, of course, I believe Larry Boa was in the middle of it, if I recall. Larry Boa, Larry Boa was in the middle of it, uh, but but not because he was not because he was on the base, just because Larry was in the middle of a lot of arguments. <laughs> I'll tell you, he was fun. So uh, a lot of a lot of our audience wanted to know um, who was your favorite manager and your favorite player to deal with uh, during your time in the big leagues. Oh, I don't know. Uh, the favorite's kind of hard. These questions are always I, tough because you have to think back yeah, to thirty-five years. Yeah, you don't uh, favorites. Uh, I mean, you know. I mean, as far as guys that had fun out there, and, and and you know, you could you could have a halfway decent. Jack McCann was good, um, you know. Uh, 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 um, Don Zimmer was good. He, you know, he. Uh, 
most guys were most guys were good. I mean, it wasn't Bobby Cox was. You, you know, Bobby Cox, you can get him on a a good day. Bobby wasn't. What Bobby wasn't always bad in arguments. Bobby was good. He would also stick up for players more than most, and, and he would he would take the crap out of the stick sometimes, sticking up for some of his guys. Well, that, that's exactly what Bobby did. Bobby was Bobby was smart when it came to that. He didn't want his players run. Bobby would rather get run than if I would bet if you check the stats, Bobby Cox got run on more check swings than any than any manager in the history of the game on check swings. I mean, he would get run on be. Unbelievable, and I'm. But that's and you never ran them. I never ran them. I ran. You know what? I'll tell you. Uh, uh, I'll tell you a story, and this is a true story. Uh, he was managing the Yankees AAA club, and um, and we had a Donnybrook uh, there, and uh, Bobby was the manager, and uh, I, that was one. Of, that was in my real heyday, and I was. Uh, you know, a young umpire, and I, you know, uh, uh, he he sprayed me with tobacco in the face. Uh, of course, after I ran him, he sprayed me, and then uh, I I really wanted to uh, to uh, uh, you know throw a punch. Uh, fortunately, I didn't. But uh, uh, he he came the next night and apologized uh, to me about what he did, and he said that. Uh, uh, that he would never do it again, and you know, to this day, um, I, I can I can tell you, you watch Bobby Cox's arguments, uh, and I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna take credit for this. Bobby, when he would come out, he'd take that he'd take that stuff and throw it on the ground before he before he would start to argue, uh, because I think I think we both had a learning lesson there. But Bobby wasn't Bobby was a Bobby protected his guys. He protected his guys the way I felt about my guys when I was on the field. He protected them. That's, that's, that's what he did. I wanted to touch on uh, something that uh, William Harrison asked, and it's certainly something that uh, is just a terrible situation. And the question is, you were part of one of the greatest tragedies in, in, in MLB history with the passing of John McSherry on opening day. Yes. And I uh, believe that was uh, 96. Uh, yes. Uh, how – what – you were – I mean it, it was literally two seconds later and you were in – at John McSherry's side. Your your sprinting ability there was incredible. Uh, the other umpires, I believe, were Tom Hallian and Steve Ripley on the field with you that day. Um, yes. Can you take take us through this just horrific incident and uh, – and, uh, Yeah, uh- you know, John. Uh, we went out to dinner the night before. We had a we had a nice crew dinner. Um, we went actually. We went to Morton's in uh, Cincinnati, and um, uh, and you know everything seemed seemed good. John John was looking forward to the day, game, and then he was going to head back to. Uh, we had the off day the next day because it was opening day with an off day uh, the following day, and. Um, John was going to go home after the game. He was going to head home to New York. Uh, and uh, actually, he had a doctor's appointment uh, in New York um, the next day. Uh, and, you know, the game started out. Uh, and next thing you know, I saw him wave. I saw him wave at Steve at uh, second base. Um, I saw him put his hand up and wave to him to come. 
and I saw him turn and head back towards the uh, the opening in the in the uh, in the wall. And John was trying to get off the field because John was one of those guys that, uh, you know, he didn't want to embarrass the, the uniform or anything like that. So I think he was trying to get off the field. Uh, he, he didn't want to collapse on the field. I, 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 I'm, you know, I'm totally convinced of that. Uh, he almost got there. But as soon as he started walking, uh, I, I took off because I, I saw him. And uh, he started teetering as he got closer to the wall, and then down he went. Uh, and almost immediately when I got to him, um, you know, uh, he, 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 I, I would say that John probably was not breathing at the time when he hit the ground. Uh, the, the guys were able to get him restarted. And, uh, and uh, you know, uh, we got him in the dressing room, and... Uh, and uh, uh, he never he never regained consciousness. Uh, and uh, you know they they got him in the ambulance and they uh, they took him off. Now Mark and, shot uh, excuse Mark shot the owner of the Reds. I'm sorry for interrupting. Yeah. Uh, wanted to continue the game uh, in some yeah. some reports. How yeah. did this? How did this? How did how did that break down? Well, Marge, Marge was, you know, Marge was looking at it like, look, we got a full stadium here. I, I, and, she, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to condemn Marge. She, she had a, she gave, you know, she said, geez, I'm, I'm you know, I, I'm really sorry about John and everything, but, you know, we can't help him. He's in his, he's in the right hands. Uh, I, you know, I, I would like the game to go on. We got a full house here. Uh, uh, you know, and I'd like the game to go on. Well, uh, I had had Barry Larkin and, um, Barry Larkin and, uh, Ray Knight were in the dressing room with me and, uh, as was Felipe and, uh, 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 Moises, although, uh, they were, they were in the dressing room also when Marge, uh, was in there. Well, uh, almost uh, Barry Larkin right out of the box that we're not playing. Uh, because at, at the time, you know, I was, if, if Marge had insisted on playing, uh, I had no right to, to say we're not playing, uh, as, as the umpire. Uh, I, I couldn't say we're not playing. If Marge and the teams wanted to play, I was going to, I couldn't just say, no, we're not going to play. So what I had decided to do was I was going to send, uh, Tommy. And uh, I was I was going to send Tommy and Rip uh, and, and Tommy to the hospital with with John and and uh, uh, Rip and I were going to work the game two men is what I decided I was going to do if she insisted on it and the players wanted to play. Well, Barry Larkin, uh, as did uh, uh, Moises and uh, Felipe and and Ray Knight said we're not playing, and uh, that was it. We didn't play. The um, we didn't play. They 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 next playing, and we went out the next day and we played. Was that the hardest game you've ever had to work the next day? Uh, I I would say I would say yes, yeah, yes, without question. Uh, it was the hardest game I probably ever had a I ever had a uh, call. Yes, being a. Uh... I remember uh, as we as we switch gears here to something uh, a little more positive. Uh, Phil Cuzzy once told me that uh, when he had his no hitter with Bud Smith, uh, 
he turned to you in the locker room and said, see, Jerry, that's how easy it is. Um, you never had a no-hitter in your career, and Cuz swears that that bothered you. Is that true, uh, what, what he said, and uh, did it bother you? It, does not, it doesn't bother me. I've been involved in a few never, no-hitters. I've just never been behind the plate. I had, uh, I had, uh, I, I believe Mario Soto is the closest I came, uh, and actually it would have been a perfect game. Uh, and then uh, uh, George Hendricks hit a uh, hit on hit on. Uh, I had two outs in the in the uh, ninth inning, in a uh, in a uh, I believe it was a uh, like a, a two a one nothing ball game, and uh, George hit a a pitch. He dust as Mario dusted George. In the bottom of the, uh, I, I, believe, I, I can't remember. I think it must have been the top of the inning. Mario dusted George 0-2. He knocked him down, 0-2. And uh, <laughs> George took the next pitch off the facade and tied the game up. <laughs> and that was that was as close as I came to a no-hitter. Oh, Mario Soto. Was there, is, is he yeah. the kind of pitcher that you got back there when you had to work the plate or you were anywhere on the field and you didn't know if he was going to cause a fight, throw at an umpire, throw a ball into a dugout, kind of a Pasquale Perez type that just... Uh, uh, he, he could pitch. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. But he was yeah. he was a bit of a loose cannon. Yeah, he could pitch, though. I'll tell you what, I, 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 I didn't mind putting a mask on any day when that guy pitched. He was going to get guys out. Uh, oh, man, he, he threw strikes. Let, let me give you a couple names here, just a couple from late in your career, guys that you worked with uh, almost every year, and you just give me your thoughts on uh, on them. Uh, Phil Cuzzy, guy who loves you to death. <laughs> what am I going to say? What am I, you know what? Is the, is the bum listening? Uh, not right now. He's not, but he, I'm sure he'll hear it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very conscientious, hard-working guy. Very, 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 very good at his job. Very, he cons- he's consistently his, his balls and strikes are impeccable. Uh, he, he's, an, he's an impeccable umpire. Very good. Very consistent at his job. Another guy, when I looked at the crew dynamics year by year that you worked with for several years that I didn't really remember being on your crew was Brian Onora. How did that friendship oh, yeah. start? And uh, Give me your thoughts on Brian. Brian is a terrific umpire. Also, uh, I enjoyed working with Brian. He's he's a he uh, he listens. Uh, he's a hard working, very hard working guy. Uh, he he really works hard at the craft. Uh, and uh, you know, I, I enjoyed as a good partner, uh, terrific partner, as is Phil. Uh, uh, you know, I can't I. All the guys that I've ever worked with, I, I can't honestly tell you I've ever worked with a bad, bad crew partner. I'll tell you that. Um, they're all, they all did a good job for me. I, you know, I, I can't honestly say, pinpoint somebody and say, that guy did not do his job with me. I, they, they went out when I had young guys. Um, the young guys, uh, I, I enjoyed working with young guys. Uh, they they certainly did their jobs when they were with me, and uh, I hope I hope I instilled some confidence in them, and, and you know maybe that's maybe that's why they they were able to do their jobs a little bit better. I I I, I really enjoyed working with uh, almost everybody I've ever worked with. Couple uh, f- last questions as we wrap things up here on the plate meeting. You wore number two 
uh, as did your father, for the majority of your career. But for uh, seasons 96 through 99, you, uh, you wore 40 um, because right. number two was retired in the National League by, uh, right. for Jock O'Conlon. Um, right. Did you feel naked wearing number 40? Um, no, actually, I, I, I had asked them. I had asked them for uh, uh, double zero, but they wouldn't give, they wouldn't give me that. Uh, but I thought my dad had wore four for a while, and they 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 they, they didn't. Somebody somebody had already gotten four, and so I didn't want to take the number, so I took forty instead, and that's really the number. That's why I had forty. And when the, the umpiring staff uh, were merged, you did get uh, the number two back, currently worn by Dan Bellino. Um, did, right. Did he talk to you before he got that number? And we, we've talked to some umpires, and they say they ask if it's okay to wear the number. Yeah. And what did, when 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 Dan talked to you, what did what did he what was the conversation like? Well, uh, he, he he was said to me, uh, Jerry, look, uh, uh, I'd like to I'd like to wear your number. I said, uh, I said, you're not going to embarrass me, are you? (laughs) (laughs) He said, said, no, he said, I will make sure all my calls are correct. I said, well, then you can have my number. And that's really the way the conversation went. (laughs) Um, Sister Teresa of the Sisters of the Resurrection, uh, our 4,000 Facebook page like, uh, Gil, um, had a question. He yep. said, uh, hello, sir. Big Red Sox fan. I know you were a National Uh-oh. League umpire for the majority of your career, but I'm curious what it was like umpiring in Fenway Park. And do you have any Red Sox memories you'd care to share? Thanks for your time and God bless. Um, thank you, sister. Uh, I, to be honest with you, I, I wasn't in the ballpark to have uh, that memory of that, that many things happened to me in that, in, in that yard. Uh, I, uh, you know, I, I had a relatively, um, I had a relatively, uh, you know, short, uh, stay there. Uh, it was an old nostalgic ballpark. I'll say that it's, it's a, you know, it's a, it, it, it's a, as soon as you walk in the place, you can feel, you know, you can just, you know, you're in a big league ballpark and you know, you're in an old, you know, one of them crusty old stadiums that that uh, that people love to be in. Um, the fans are great. The fans are terrific. Uh, I, I just really, uh, you know, nothing really happened to me that I can think of off the top of my head uh, as far as, uh, uh, you know, anything that happened to me in that ballpark. One last uh, video question. Uh, you were part of one of the craziest brawls in the history of Major League Baseball, Tigers versus White Sox in April the 22nd, 2000. This is a fascinating video because you brought both managers in and talked to them and dressed them down seemingly, including uh, of one part that you said, that's enough of the bullshit. Um, And you talked to them for over two minutes, which in this day and age is unheard of. this yeah. is, goes back to what we talked about earlier in controlling the game. It didn't work because we had another brawl later in the game. But, uh, right. you know, can you take me through that, that day and uh, the paperwork that uh, took place following it? <laughs> to, be, to, be quite, to be quite frank with you, I, I, 
to be honest with you, I, uh, as far as that that situation was concerned, I believe I had, I believe I had the paperwork. I had even I was the crew chief, lucky enough to be the crew chief there. So I think I had Cuz write out every report. <laughs> I, think, I think I had Cuz write all those reports. I, 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 I don't know how many guys ended up being ejected. Eight guys or something. I know yes. we, it was it was the wildest event. Uh, the uh, the young catcher for the uh, I believe the Tigers. I can't remember what his name was. It, uh, he was pounding his chest, and people were hitting him with beers. And I, I mean, I it was just it was just out of hand. It was just out of hand. It was unbelievable. Yeah, and <laughs> the the catcher in that game was uh, Brad Ausmus. But I think you're talking about the backup no, no, no. catcher. This kid, yeah, it was Fick, the backup catcher, right? Um, Man, that's it. Yeah, Fick. Robert Robert Fick. 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 Yeah. And it's always yeah, great yeah. when you have to eject everybody as the first base umpire. Mike Everett worked the plate that day and uh, managed to survive uh, nearly ejectionless. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? He probably didn't. He probably told me. Because what we did is when we got there, you know, we were picking guys and saying, hey, this guy had to go, this guy had to go, this guy had to go. So Mike, I don't think Mike got, went unscathed there. I think he probably. You know, so that's that's why he went unscathed because he just wasn't. He he named them to me and and I ejected. Well, I'm looking so, at it. You know, I'm Jerry. They're uh, one, two, seven by you and four by Everett. <laughs> that's eleven. <Yeah>. I mean, <laughs> yeah. We 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 Doug Doug broke kill. Doug, we we thought we had it all all settled down. We had everybody. We were just. Now I'm just saying, well, let's let's get these innings in and get the hell out of here. So, so, and the next thing you know, so Kale drilled somebody, and just like that, it breaks out again. I, I tell you what, he, he was a big tough guy. That uh, Doug broke out. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. Can you tell our? We, one of the questions I love asking is: there's there's multiple ways to handle a, a full fledged brawl. What was your right. rule of thumb when uh, when it broke out? Well. First of all, first of all, I, I think the umpire has to get engaged. I think the guy, the, you have to get engaged in the in the in the brawl itself at at first. I mean, you have to try and stop it. You have to try and stop it and get it under control. If you can't, if you can't, you got to get outside of it and just take names. There's no other way to handle it because there's no way in the world you can you can get fifty guys involved. Or you can stop 50 guys from ball once they're there. The other thing you have to watch out is for police and things like that because you don't want one of these guys in a wild swing whacking one of these cops in the face. So you want to try and keep the 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 the, uh, the federales out of there. In other <laughs> words, you don't want them getting involved trying to break up these fights. Let it let it run its course and uh, and. Uh, you know, once once you lose control of it, you, you know you can't. There's no way you can get it back under control. If you can control it before you get, which I w- I was able to do a couple of different times. Uh, I I was able to stop it before it started, and and uh, uh, you know I, I don't know whether they just respected the uniform or whether they just respected me when I got when I would get in there. But the fact was that I was able to control a few of them. Before they got they got full fledged, so 
I mean, if you can do that, then that's the way to go. If you can't, you know, you just got to take names and, and, and do your job uh, after it's all said and done. I want to talk about your first World Series in 1988. You were on yeah. the field for one of the classic moments uh, yeah. in World Series history when the right. Eck got uh, got a home run hit off him right. by a hobbling uh, right. Kirk Gibson, who didn't take another at-bat in the World Series. But in Game 1, right. you were the left-field line right. umpire when Gibson yeah. hit it out. This is your first World yeah, Series had, game. Don't the plate. Yeah. Doug had the point. Yeah. This is your first World Series game. Did you think it would uh, yeah. go go uh, all uphill from here? And look who's coming up. High fly ball into right field. She is gone. In a year that has been so improbable, the impossible has happened. Well, I... <laughs> You know, it, it, I will say this throughout my career. It's the only, it's the only, it's, it, it's one of the few hits I had ever seen that won a series. One hit won the series. Um, they, they never lost momentum. I know that they, they went five games because I had game five, but, but, but the fact was is that one hit won the series for the Dodgers. They, they weren't looking back after that hit. There was no, and, uh, Eckersley never got back in the game. He never got into another game. It was to me. And have you ever, I know you're on the field, but have you ever listened to Vince Scully call of that leading up to it? I, I, I have not. No. Oh, it's, 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 it's remarkable. It's uh, we often bash announcers on, uh, on our site. Right. But that's one. Uh, obviously it's hard to. Well, to, Vin was never a guy to bash. No, was, it's hard he to. He was always, he, yeah. Him and, him and, him and, uh, 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 Joe Buck, not uh, uh, Jack Buck. Yes, you can bash Joe all you want. But Jim, uh, <laughs> Jack Buck is here. <laughs> in 2010, in your final season, you get a uh, world. Uh, excuse me, you get a divisional series assignment as the right. crew chief, right. uh, New York right. and Minnesota. When did you right. decide that you were going to hang it up? Um, and I've seen various reports as to why, but. Uh, Obviously, when you were umpiring this divisional series, you knew that this was, you know, probably going to be yeah. the end. Yeah. Well, I had decided uh, those last couple of years uh, of my career, uh, my back was really uh, – I was missing games. And uh, I, I was, you know, really putting my crew in a hardship. Uh, you know, I, I'd make a safe call. My back would go south. I, I, and I couldn't work for a couple of weeks. I'd come back. I'd end up working for a month and I'd, I'd do something, turn wrong, and my back would go. And then, um, uh, so I was missing a lot of games. And the fact that I was missing games, then I wasn't being considered for, uh, uh, you know, working, working uh, playoffs and World Series. So once, once you're out of that mix, uh, really, uh, you, know, <laughs> you know, I love the action. So that was uh, uh, that was that was that certainly had a great deal to to do with the why I decided to uh, pull the plug. We haven't touched all that much on your brother uh, in this, and so we've had a lot of questions. And this is a podcast about you; it's not about your brother. But dinner table conversation: How does the NBA and Major League Baseball 
relate? Are, are they relatable in any way in terms of managing of a game, the pace of the game, the personalities yeah, within? Yeah, I think. I think. I think from the from a standpoint, if you watch my brother work, uh, I believe that you uh, you see you, he's got a baseball mentality. Uh, watch the way he calls balls that are out of bounds. Uh, you know, he calls them like somebody would be calling either a foul. An old-time umpire would be calling the ball foul or fair. He points. He uses his fingers and points. He calls like he, – he would make, he'll make a call, and it looks like somebody's calling a strike. You can, if you watch Joe, he's got a lot of baseball mannerisms in him. And, and, and yeah, that's, I think, the way he controlled a game. He controlled it like a major league umpire would. Uh, he controlled basketball the same way. Uh, Joe always was engaged. Uh, if you watch these guys, if you watch Joe get involved in, in these guys when they clash, when they come together, Joe gets involved. You see that they're towering over him by about two, each guy two feet over him, but he's holding them both off. Chuck, you got to move your foot on the line. Set, set, Devin. Set, stay, stay. Gary, move your foot. I got it, Joe. There you go. Ball's going up. I'm going to put the ball up. He's got the spot. Mark's got the spot, Gary. Stay. Ball's going up. Ball's going up. You know what I mean? So the fact is, is that that's, you know, Joe, Joe got in, you know, he, he, he listened to my father too. No matter what, what sport you're officiating, you have to you have to be involved in it. Well, I'll tell you what, you're not missing much with the weather up here. It's uh, 34 degrees in Philadelphia. How's uh, what's the <laughs> weather in Florida right now? <laughs> well, it's sunny as sunny as all get out. It's about 75. Uh, it's not a, not a not a bad life, not a bad career. Uh, no. no. 35 major league seasons, five World Series, 12 LCS, 4400 plus games. And uh, and a heck of a, a close call sports plate meeting podcast, Jerry. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Tim. I appreciate. It. Thank you for the call. Nice talking to you, Gil. Great to talk to you too, Jerry. Thank you. Okay, buddy. Take care. See you, Jerry. Bye bye. And that wraps us up at another edition of the Plate Meeting Podcast right here at Close Call Sports. We hope that you enjoyed it as much as we did bringing it to you for Gil. I'm T-Mac, and we'll see you next time right here at the Plate Meeting Podcast on Close Call Sports. So long, everybody. Happy umpiring, everyone.